Hi, I'm Rachel Cassandra. Welcome to Midday Magazine for Monday, December 12th. Petersburg Borough's Assembly swore in a new police officer last Monday. Robert Akins Jr., who goes by Bobby, is changing careers from the medical field to law enforcement. KFSK talked with him about his background, thoughts on Petersburg, and hopes for the job. I'm Bobby Akins. Uh, I'm the newest addition to the police force. I mainly grew up in southwest Alaska, so we're essentially moved across state from southwest to southeast. Where in southwest? Uh, Bristol Bay, so uh, Dillingham. It's the main the main hub. Can you tell us a little about your background there? Yeah, so this is my first uh, interaction with like police officers. Um, I've worked with them, like in tandem with them. My my main background is in the medical field, um, so I've been doing that since about the age of fourteen. Everything from pre-hospital care to um, being the healthcare provider for like like villages over there, and then running fire and EMS in uh, Dillingham as administrative staff at the fire hall. So you said you've been working in the medical field since you were 14, is that right? So what was that job? It actually started with one of my family members getting injured um, with a concussion. And since that, like at the age of 14, my dad decided that my brother and I needed to be like medically inclined. So he had us go through the emergency trauma technician course at the age of 14. Uh, we started running with like the like the volunteer ambulance in our in our community there. Uh, just to get the feel for it, we got special accommodations from the governor at the age of 15 for the call volume that we were responding to and then just the grasp of the field and it, you know, that, that want to help and, you know, be involved in the community stuck and I just continued it uh, into adulthood. And um, what made you decide that you wanted to become a police officer? So here I've, I've noticed that there's the... Officers work great in tandem with the community. They're very involved with the community. And that definitely, uh, you know, seeing that passion spurred me as an available option to to look at as a potential career. Okay, so meaning like in other places, there's a little bit more of friction between the police force and the community? Not so much friction, just less community involvement. And seeing that involvement here definitely brought into light the, um, you know, the level of interaction that the police have with the community and made it, you know, a more desirable option seeing that that camaraderie between working in tandem with the community and the police. How long have you been in Petersburg? When did you get here? So (laughs) we moved here in October of 2019. And so I started with the hospital. And then essentially, as soon as I started, that's when like COVID hit, and everyone is essentially locked down. So the exposure to the community has been somewhat dumbed down. We haven't been able to go out as much and spend a whole lot of time with um, like individuals as much as we like just to, um, you know, keep condensed in our bubbles and hanging out with families. Okay. And you, so you have some family here? Yes. My brother, uh, his wife and their daughter, they were here before us and they were the, the driving force behind us moving to, to Petersburg. Oh, wonderful. Who did you come here with? I came here with uh, my wife and uh, my daughter. I mean, you've been here a while, but uh, what do you think of Petersburg and kind of how it compares with Dillingham? So it's the economy here is definitely a lot better. Um, the access to like services and goods um, with having, you know, two barges a week has, has been great. Things are a lot cheaper. And then the people here just seem to be a lot more hospitable. Very, very nice, very genuine people here. Very welcoming. We've, we've really enjoyed it. And again, that's another reason behind um, looking at this as a potential career is you know, being able to work amiably with the citizens of Petersburg.
Can you tell me what's coming up next for your job training here? I'll be starting training with my sergeant here um, into regular shifts and just shadowing, getting a feel for the job. And then um, hopefully next next year um, we'll be looking at going to academy, which is a 17-week ordeal. And is there anything else that you, you know, want to share? It's, it's, it's an amazing opportunity. Really excited. Uh, everyone here has been more than hospitable and more than welcoming. And, you know, there's a lot to take in for sure. But everyone's done a great job making me feel welcome. And I'm really looking forward to, to being a part of the, the police here. Okay, great. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk. Yeah, not a problem. And that was New Petersburg Police Officer Bobby Aikens speaking with me, KFSK's Virgil Cassandra. A trial is set to begin next week to determine whether Representative David Eastman's lifetime membership in the extremist Oath Keepers group disqualifies him to serve as a state legislator. A voter named Randall Colwaki filed the legal challenge. It cites a provision in the state constitution that says people can't hold public office if they belong to an organization that advocates overthrowing the federal government by force or violence. Members of the Oath Keepers were prominent participants in the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. The group's founder and another leader were recently convicted of seditious conspiracy. Eastman, a Republican from Wasilla, easily won re-election last month. But an order from Superior Court Judge Jack McKenna has prevented the Division of Elections from certifying Eastman's election while the case is pending. The case has implications beyond who will represent District 27. The leadership of the State House is in limbo, and Eastman's fate is one factor, making it hard for either faction to organize a majority. McKenna said lawyers should plan to give their opening statements today. Sitka's planning department will investigate whether several sections of city and state-owned land can be opened up for housing development. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. Finding solutions to Sitka's housing crisis is a goal of both the city's comprehensive and strategic plans. At a recent Sitka Planning Commission meeting, Planning Director Amy Ainsley highlighted tracts of municipal land that might be good for housing development. Ainsley said she focused on large swaths of land that are close to existing power and water connections. As we have found in all of our other studies, the farther you are away from utility infrastructure, the more expensive the cost is going to be. And if the goal is affordable housing, then obviously having high utility expenses is, you know, contravenes the whole goal, right? Ainsley said a large section of city-owned land behind Sitka High School is at the top of her list. She said the city should also consider state-owned land through the Indian River Valley. And so it, I, think, I think it's an area worth exploring. And with um, the current administration, there has, there has been some interest in, in working with, with municipalities to open state lands. Um, and particular to give state lands to municipalities. And, you know, there's a lot of focus on housing, too. So I think it's, it's a good opportunity um, for us to be working with the state on this on this piece of land. Ainsley said there are three questions staff need to answer in evaluating the land, whether it's safe and buildable, how much housing can be built in the area and how much it will cost. To answer those questions, Ainsley said she's budgeting for a study of all of the properties, which she hopes to kick off by the beginning of the next fiscal year and fund through grants. Commissioner Katie Riley said she was excited about the prospect of opening up more land for housing. 
but she noted that it doesn't solve the immediate problem of affordable housing in Sitka. You know, houses are built, they're, they're sold to the folks who can afford them, which a lot of the times are not necessarily the folks that are looking for housing in town. So um, having having a discussion, you know, amongst this this body of like what what affordability is, what that means. I know that it's a topic that we all hold a lot of different opinions on. And so I'm excited to explore that as well. During public comment, Sitka resident Martina Kurzer said she hoped that further down the line, developers would consider options beyond single family homes. She recalled apartment buildings she saw on a recent trip to Juno's Ock Bay. I saw three buildings that were very attractive. They looked like a very beautiful apartment building overlooking um, the harbor there. And um, I was wondering, they have a lot more space than we do. But uh, is that anything? Is there anything we could do? Uh, how could we change our thinking to make the best uh, with the limited available space we have? And- Ainsley, the planning director, said in the new year, the commission should hold a special session to seek more community feedback on the future of housing development in Sitka. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. Ironman Alaska has canceled plans to hold events in Juneau over the next two years. Liz Perry from Travel Juneau said the triathlon organizer called her to say that the decision was an economic one. They blamed inflation. We have not burned any bridges with them. They are ever so grateful to the community of Juneau for everything that we did for them, and they want to keep that door open for the possibility of a future event. More than 800 athletes from around the country came to Juneau in August for the Ironman and competed in driving rain. While that was fewer than the original expectation, the event did end up bringing an estimated $8 million to the local economy. Perry said the fact that Juno proved it can host an event of this scale also means there's potential for similar events. It kind of opens the door for us to keep an eye out for you know similar events, um, and whether they are athletic events or other kinds of events uh, that the, the town has the capacity to put on. Travel Juno paid $50,000 for licensing for this year's event. Perry said they had a contract with Ironman for the 2023 and 2024 races, but had not made any payments yet. Juno's Mendenhall Lake froze over for the first time last week, which coaxed coaxed hikers, skiers, and climbers out onto that ice. This increased traffic raised concerns about ice safety after some Juno residents saw dangerous behavior on the ice. KTO's Anna Canny has more. Ahead of a sunny weekend in Juneau, people returning to Brian Weed. Like, have you drilled it? You know, are you going to go out and drill it? Weed is a Juneau local and admin of the popular Facebook page, Juno's Hidden History. He measures ice thickness on Mendenhall Lake every year. Weed shares his data on Facebook to help people make ice safety decisions. This year, he saw several people venturing out beyond where he was comfortable. And he says he often observes people breaking the most important rule. I can't tell you how many people I've seen walk right up to the face of a glacier to touch it. And they're probably standing on two inches or less of rotten ice. The National Weather Service recommends that people keep a distance of at least 300 yards when approaching the glacier. Ice thins out faster on the face. Unpredictable calving is also a risk. All it'll take is one small chunk of the glacier coming off to turn that whole area in front of the glacier back to water. The Weather Service put out a reminder about ice thickness standards on social media over the weekend, but they don't monitor lake conditions themselves. Meteorologist Greg Spann says it's hard to make good safety judgments when the ice thickness varies across the lake. 
it's very possible to have some patches that have thin ice, some patches that don't have thin ice, and you very much do not want to be the individual who discovers the thin patch of ice. Span also said the lake will likely freeze and thaw several times this winter. That will cause additional cracks and weak spots across the lake. If you do go out on the lake, avoid areas of flowing water. It causes ice to thin out around river mouths and creeks, especially near Nugget Falls. Icebergs should also be avoided. They are often surrounded by weak spots and open water, and a rolling iceberg can break up the ice at any moment. Span says that activity on the ice always poses a risk. The first rule of ice safety is it's very difficult to actually be 100% safe on the ice. Above all else, admire the glacier from a safe distance. In Juneau, I'm Anna Canny. A Prince of Wales Island nonprofit is gearing up for the holidays. By offering free gifts and food for Christmas dinners, volunteers at Prince of Wales Island Emergency Resources in Craig hope to combat rising prices and winter blues to give everyone a nice holiday season. KRBD's Reagan Miller reports. Prince of Wales Island Emergency Resources, better known as Power, provides food, clothes, and fuel to families in need on the island. With Christmas coming in just a couple weeks, the group's thrift store in downtown Craig will soon start offering a different kind of help, a hand in making Christmas happen for any struggling island resident. That help comes in the form of Christmas dinner baskets and access to what Power calls its Christmas gift room. Victoria Merritt has volunteered at Power for almost 40 years. She's also on the nonprofit's board. We have a room upstairs that is filled with gifts that are brand new or gently used, and we let people come in and they pick out um, a couple of gifts for their kids and something for their spouse, whatever. So it works out really well, and we have a uh, and then we have a, a Christmas dinner basket uh, program too, so people can get enough for a Christmas dinner. Both the baskets and the gifts are free of charge, no documentation required, and they'll be available starting December 14th. Merritt says she knows the holidays can be a tough time. You know, it's cold, everything's more expensive, particularly this year. So I think it's very helpful and people are, very, are usually very grateful. The store relies on donations from locals and businesses to keep its doors open. The annual Power Concert in mid-December is another way the group raises money. Ralph Mackey is one of the concert's organizers. Well, it'll be a collection of local artists who are um, playing and singing uh, and reciting uh, Christmas and winter-related uh, songs and, and poems. The concert has become a staple of the holiday season in Craig. Um, it's an annual concert. Um, actually, our last two concerts were, on, um, were online uh, because of COVID, but this is our 23rd annual concert. Our first one was held in 2000. All proceeds from the Pay What You Want show go towards Powers programs. There's a rumor that uh, Santa may show up. The concert is scheduled for 3 p.m. Sunday, December 11th at Craig High School. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. And for KFSK, I'm Rachel Cassandra.